I'd love to introduce um, Molly Huff, who's going to give our message tonight. Molly has um, been with the table really from the beginning when we left CBC, and uh, I still remember her showing up at our trial service. And Molly is now, see this is what you get when you're part of uh, the beginning of something, Molly is now our board president. So anyway, I'd love, please welcome Molly up for the message. Uh, thank you to my husband who just yelled the loudest out of everybody in this room. Uh, well, as Debbie said, my name is Molly Huff, and I've been a part of the table for quite some time, and it's been such a fun ride, and it's fun to be the El Presidente this year, and I love doing it. So the post-pizza crowd is a little tough, so try to stay with me here tonight because I feel like I have something to say. Um, I have something to say to you tonight, and I'm excited to give it. Tonight we're finishing our series around uh, the book Dancing in the Darkness with Reverend Dr. Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III, is that right? And in the last chapter of the book, he talks about facing our fears with love. And I think when we think of fear, a lot of things comes to mind. There is fear of other, there's fear of ourselves, there's fear of failure, and so much more that gets attached to that feeling and that weapon of fear. But as Paul says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. So even though God did not give us this spirit of fear, it sure has taken the driver's seat in most of our lives and especially as a collective culture. And this is evident everywhere. You turn on the news, you spend some time alone and quiet. I'm sure fear is going to take the driver's seat at some point. I'm sure fear is going to show up. It's evident in our news, our churches, our homes, and ourselves. And the best way that we can combat fear is through self-love. That's right, everyone. Tonight we're talking about self-love. And I feel like self-love is something that is not talked about very much in the church. And no, I'm not talking about self-care. I'm not talking about a bubble bath and a face mask. And even though those things are lovely and we should have them, we got to talk about self-love. So as we're talking about facing our fears with love, it has to start with us. Because learning to love yourself is an act of its own rebellion. We have been brought up in systems that are created to profit off of our fear and our self-hatred. And I'm going to put a pretty fine point on this tonight. And some of these stats I'm about to share might be uncomfortable, but I think it evidences the point. Did you know that only 6% of women feel happy with their bodies? At age 13, 53% of girls are unhappy with their bodies. By the time they're 17, it's 78%. 40% of elementary school-aged girls have tried to diet or to lose weight. Elementary school girls are dieting and trying to lose weight. 57% of adolescent girls engage in eating disorder behaviors. And it's even more if you're part of the LGBTQIA community. 81% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. Their biggest fear is being fat. 81% of 10-year-olds are feeling this way. That is not self-love, that is self-hatred. But it's not just women. Men, this includes you too. 
It's estimated that between 30 and 40% of men are anxious about their weight and that 85% are are dissatisfied with their features. There was a study done that said, this was the most shocking to me as I was looking all of this up. It said that 95% of college-aged men are dissatisfied with their bodies. 95% of college-aged men, when you're in like the peak of your physicality, (laughs) you know, it's that you are that dissatisfied with your body. And again, this is even more so with LGBTQIA plus individuals. That is not self-love. Even more so, we have 13% of women who say that they practice self-love regularly, and that is only compared to 5% of men. 5% of men are practicing self-love. That is minuscule and has to stop. One example of how, and these are all examples of how we are being raised to hate ourselves and our holy bodies, even though God told us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. There are entire systems in place teaching us to hate ourselves from day one, even though love is in our DNA. It is systems that brought us up and raised us in fear. They are profiting off of this self-hatred. They're profiting off of my self-hatred. And this destruction and violence are wreaking havoc on ourselves and our world because of a lack of self-love. The greatest responsibility that we can do tonight and that we have to ourselves is to know that we are enough, period. And we don't take this very seriously, but we are seeing the ripple effects in ourselves and all around us. And God knew this. This is what is like so cool about God always is that of course God knew this. So in Mark, in the 12th chapter, Jesus is in... Typical arguments with people who are trying to trip Jesus up. It happens quite a bit in the scripture. And one day he is having this conversation with a religious scholar. And the religious scholar comes to him and he says, look, Jesus, I hear you. I hear that you are answering all of these questions, but I want you to answer one question for me. And he goes, I want to know what is the greatest commandment in all of scripture? To me, it seems like he was trying to trip him up. Other people disagree with me. (laughs) But Jesus answers in a way that he knows that life is a gift and love is the point, as Lynn would say. Jesus answers in a radical way. He says, let me boil down all of scripture so that everyone can understand this. First, love your God with all of your heart all of your mind, all of your strength, and all of your soul. And once you do this sort of vertical connection that, it, that appears, you must learn to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a prerequisite to loving your neighbor. There is a prerequisite to understanding this statement that you must love your neighbor, yes, but you must first love yourself to love your neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And I will point this all out to you in a minute. This is critical to our spiritual growth. How we love and how we love ourselves is critical to that spiritual growth. It's critical to how we love our neighbor and how we allow God's love to run and flow through us. And Jesus is teaching these very simple principles when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
right? And this is the thing that I feel like the church focuses on the most, right? We, we do the first part. We say, yep, I'm going to love my God with all my heart, mind, soul, strength. Yes, we talk about that all the time. We talk about loving our neighbor, right? There's so much about you got to love your neighbor. And if you're not loving your neighbor in these specific ways and you're doing it wrong. Well, that's not what we talk about at this table. But <laughs> that's what I hear often. And we forget about the prerequisite that we have to love ourselves first. And so many of us are looking in other places to be accepted when we are already accepted. Dr. Reverend Otis Moss says, it's time for you to live from acceptance and not for acceptance. And I'll say that again. We are living for acceptance and not from acceptance. When you love who you are and you know that you were made in the image of God, God has worked tirelessly on you. He knows every detail of who you are and he wants you to know yourself who you are. He wants you to know that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. But you have to make the decision yourself. No one can convince you to love yourself. And I don't know if anyone in here has ever been in a relationship or been in a friendship of any kind with someone who you were trying to convince them to love themselves. That's a tough spot to be because we can't make that decision for them. It has to be something that you wake up every day and you know that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And here's the beautiful part. When you get to the core of that, it is going to shift things for you. Your spirit will shift. Your spiritual growth will shift. Your strength will shift. And as long as you continue to look for validation externally, to have someone else look at you and say, you're smart enough, you're good enough, you're skinny enough, you're the most holy enough, you're godly enough, whatever it might be, you will always be under the authority of someone else. When you decide, though, that I like who I am, I am good enough the way that I am, I like the way that I do things. I like my talents. I like my passions. I like the way that I love people. And then you say, and I don't care if you don't. There is such a power in that that we forget that just says, I am loving myself and I'm going to be out from under the authority of this other person that I'm looking for validation because I like myself and I know that God likes me. And not only does God like me, but God loves me as a beautifully and wonderfully made person. So when you do this, it changes your perspective. And there's this great documentary on PBS. If anybody knows me, you know that I'm kind of a documentary snob and nerd and I watch lots of documentaries. Uh, so PBS is a classic favorite for me. There's this great PBS documentary uh, that interviews former white supremacists. And they're sharing their stories and they all talk. This is what's so interesting about it is there is this theme that carries throughout the whole documentary. And every single story that is shared, they are talking about how much they hated themselves. They carried so much hate for themselves and they always spoke inwardly about it. They said, I hated myself and I didn't know where to place the hate so I had to transfer it to somebody else. And this was the first person that scooped me up under their authority and I was transferring that hate to somebody else. And Richard Rohr always says that if you don't transform it, you transfer it. 
And these people were transferring their hate because they didn't know the power of self-love. They were never told that they could transform and that love can show up in the oddest of places, even in a white supremacist <laughs> gang, I would call it. Love shows up there, self-love shows up there, and it's transformative. And it allowed them to have their whole lives changed, not only for themselves to stop carrying around the weight of that hate, but also to start treating their neighbor differently. Do you see why it matters to love yourself first and then be able to love your neighbor? You cannot stand up for the vulnerable unless you know who you are, unless you love who you are, and then you can radically love other people. And when you love yourself, it's going to change the way you walk, the way you stand, and the way you have authority in your spirit. When you are loved, you bring power in your spirit. You stand in front of hate and it shakes. I love who I am because I know who I am. I have taken the time to know who I am because God has already told me that I am loved and because I know I am loved, I know that I can do great things. And here's where self-love takes you. If you don't think I look good, that's your problem. You don't think I'm skinny enough, that's your problem. <laughs> Thank you, Corey, again, my husband. Um, if you don't think I'm smart enough, you're wrong. If you don't think I'm holy enough, that's your problem. There is so much freedom and liberation that comes from that kind of self-love and rooting your identity in who God has already told you that you are. When you wake up and you remind yourself daily that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Make that decision. You are a product of love. You are not a product of the system that has taught us to fear each other and ourselves. The greatest achievement we can make is knowing who we are. So I want you to say to yourself, I want you to say, I love who I am. I know who I am. I like what I do. I like how I do it. I like my mistakes. I like the pace of how I make my mistakes. I like how I learn. I like how I grow. I like my passions. And it doesn't matter if anybody else does. And all of that knowing of who you are and self-love makes you want to continue to know who you are so that you can go out and radically love that neighbor of yours. Because love is in our DNA. But there is a dangerous virus that is going around. And we talked about it at the beginning, but it's this virus of fear and invalidation. It is destructive of our spirit when we are constantly looking at others for validation, when we look outwards rather than inwards, when we do as Dr. Otis Moss says, when he says we are living for acceptance and not as acceptance. Fear produces hate. Fear shrinks. Fear robs you of your God-given potential. Fear frustrates your purpose. Fear tells you that you are not enough and you never will be. Fear tells me that my curiosity and my questions don't deserve space in this church and even outside of church. And these are the messages that we have ingrained in us. That is not self-love. And it even affects our vertical connection. The greatest commandment, right? We are to love God with all of our soul, all of our minds, all of our body, and all of our strength. It affects your vertical connection when you don't love yourself. Because the way that I am relating to God is the way that I relate to others. So I say, 
yeah, God loves me, but I'm not doing all the things I should be doing. I'm not praying enough. Um, I'm not spending enough time in quiet. I'm not meeting with people enough. I'm not reading my Bible and being in scripture enough. And I come to church and I hear Matt and Debbie say every week that I am enough, that who I am is more important than what I do. But it's still not enough for me. There is still fear in the driver's seat every time they say that to me. And that is a practice of self-love that I have to wake up every day and say, I am beautifully and wonderfully made. My fear will not be in the driver's seat today. I am going to believe what Matt and Debbie say every week. I am going to believe that I am loved, period. That I am enough, period. And fear is not only a feeling, but it's also a weapon. It's a weapon used in the news, in our churches, and the way we see ourselves. And Patty, can you cue up the slide? So Howard Thurman uh, is kind of a famous quote of his, but he says, one of the persistent hounds of hell that dog the footsteps of the poor, the dispossessed, and the disinherited. If we cannot learn to confront this hellhound called fear, it's going to destroy anything we are trying to build. And it has. It has destroyed so much of this. It is why so many of us have to deconstruct and reconstruct and deconstruct and reconstruct. Because our religious houses were built on fear and not on love. Fear is something that's going to steal our joy, our way of life, our connection to each other, and our connection to the divine. And when I am told to love myself, it's really difficult to continue to say, I'm enough, period. I love myself, period. Rather than, I love myself, but come on, Debbie. Is that really what you mean? Am I really, is who I am really more important than what I do? Because I'm a lawyer and what I do is important and I'm important and I want to be seen as important. And this is the problem with love. This is the problem that I think many of you are probably thinking in your heads right now. You're probably thinking maybe some of the same things, like, okay, yeah, sure, Molly, like self-love, yada, 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 like that's real cool and all, but what does that actually mean? What does this mean for me in my day-to-day? The problem with love, and self-love in particular, is that it cannot be systematized. It can't be explained, controlled, regulated, legislated, or broken down in some three-part framework in a theology classroom. It's something you know, but you can't exactly teach. It's something you experience, but you can't exactly contain it. Love both inhabits and transcends our religious categories. It's wild and it's unpredictable and it's prone to showing up in places that we would rather it not be. And many have confused the idea of love with the idea of niceness. They seem to think that because love is so elusive and hard to define, right, it's this thing that we can't contain, that it must be weak. Self-love is weak. The, it's, it's the ideological crutch for those who don't want to offend anybody. It's bad theology. Love isn't good theology. It's the, yeah, but what does this all really mean, right? It's Molly sitting in the pews on most nights, unfortunately. Uh, and it's me saying, I want specific answers. I want to be like Eve in the garden, and I mean that as a compliment. I want answers. But when I consider the love that Jesus showed and that I'm commanded to imitate, the last words that come to my mind are weak or nice. 
To love as Jesus loved requires more strength and conviction than a human being without spirit can muster. It requires giving without expecting anything in return, forgiving enemies, withholding judgment, looking after the forgotten, and caring for neighbors. But none of that can occur if we don't have self-love. It requires living counterculturally by resisting the temptations of self-hate, which are all around us. The kind of love that Jesus taught and exemplified, I think, perfectly crystallizes on the cross. Jesus is looking down on those who had put him there. And Jesus said in this rather incredible act of self-love, because God knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus had self-love and not self-hatred. Because Jesus had self-love, there was this incredible moment where he could have transferred hatred to others. And he didn't. Because he knew who he was. Because he had self-love. He looked at those below him and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That could have been a moment of self-hatred and transferring hatred. And Jesus didn't do it. It's remarkable. He decided to transform it in that moment. That was a transformative moment from not just hate, but to love. Because Jesus knew that he was fearfully beautifully and wonderfully made, and that love was in their DNA, not hate. He knew that life is a gift, but love is the point. Again, as Lynn always says, he knows that fear has simply taken over. He knew that fear was in the driver's seat that day, not self-love. That is not weak. Self-love is not weak. Love is actually fan-freaking-tastic theology. According to both John and Paul, um, a life devoid of love, yeah, a life devoid of love is a life devoid of good theology. I'll say it again. A life devoid of love is a life devoid of good theology. Without love, we are clinging symbols. We are useless noise. Without love, all of our carefully crafted arguments that we have for why we're right mean nothing. Without self-love, our hatred grows. And I think fear has robbed us of a lot of our passion for life. Since the pandemic, we have all been in a haze. And it's that thing that when you're talking to people, you can't quite put your finger on why. Like, you're still not back to yourself. Things still aren't totally normal. There's this almost like PTSD that's hanging around. There was this haze of depression hanging around. And this goes back even further to 2016 for me personally. There is this haze here. And I know you can all feel it. These have been very traumatic years for us. We have seen the ugly belly of self-hatred. We have seen this hellhound running rampant. And I am just as guilty as anyone. But I want to cast a new vision today. I would encourage all of you to fill your lungs with inspiration again. I want you to be so focused on self-love that you can move beyond the judgment of others. I want you to ask yourself bigger, richer, more expansive questions that get to the core of who you are and the gifts that God has given you. I want you to get to the core of your love and the way that you want to express that love in this world. 
And since you know yourself and you love yourself and you foster those gifts, you are capable of big things. You are so completely, absolutely, wonderfully, beautifully made capable of big things and big self-love. This fear is only diverting us from self-love and from God's love. So I want you to start dreaming. I want you to start sharing. I want you to start pouring yourself into God and to each other and in order to get to this place of self-love. I want you to first acknowledge the fear. Hold space for it. Look it in the eye. Ask it good questions. Say, why are you here? Why are you in the driver's seat? And then I want you to start transforming it. Because if you don't transform it, you transfer it. And I think one of the best ways that we can transform this is by living in a state of grace. In a theology of love and enoughness, say to yourself, I am enough and I'm living in a state of grace, period. And if you watched Barbie recently, anybody watch Barbie? Come on, don't disappoint me, crowd. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, three people will get this joke. Um, if you watched Barbie recently, you were enough. When you live in a state of grace, you love yourself. God loves us not for what we have done, but because God simply loves us. That's it. That's the end. That's the period. When you live in grace, you can't help but be grateful. And gratitude is a wonderful way to get to self-love. So I'll end with this poem. Patty, if you want to pull it up. Thank you, Patty. It says, I hope today you remember that the sky is not humiliated by its vastness and the mountains remain unashamed of their height. Mother Earth and her oceans are not afraid of her size and the sun is not concerned if someone has to squint their eyes. It will shine and it will not apologize for its light. And like the trees teach us that it's okay to lose our leaves as seasons change and then come back to life. I hope that nature teaches us to look at ourselves and be kind. I hope that we don't dim or shrink or fold into spaces far too tight. Yes, today, I hope you look at yourself and you are kind. Pray with me, church. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us that we need self-love. Thank you for teaching us that this is a prerequisite to loving our neighbors. And thank you for the grace that you showed on that cross because you know who you are. And because you know who you are, we get to be so loved in return. God, we're so grateful for your spirit of love and for giving us not a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. We are so grateful to be in this space together um, and to just enjoy pizza and community and just be reminded of your spirit. So we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. was charged with the benediction and I do not have the benediction memorized. Oh, it's right there. Oh, whew, I was really nervous. Okay, that's such good news. Um, 
Church, no matter, wait, no, wait, put your hands out. I got to do this right. I got to do this right. All right, here we go. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've been or where you've stayed, there will always be a seat for you at the table because you are a beloved child of God and beloved you belong. Thanks for coming, church. Amen.